continuing. Now, we again, we've started our new series. We're in the book of Joshua now, okay? This is, series is called A Life Lived for God. And last week, as we continued this study of the God's preparation of Joshua, what we saw here was God's preparing him to take the people into the promised land, into Canaan. And what we saw also is the fact that this process actually started about 40 years earlier where God's been working and refining Joshua throughout this time. We've seen that God has used Moses to work in his life. Moses has not only trained him, but he's poured his life into Joshua's life. We see a picture of discipleship in that. And what we find is the fact that not only has God poured or Moses poured into Joshua in word, but he's also poured into him in deed. He's launched his life. And we've seen this example that he set for him. Now, he's seen a godly example of faith and, and godly leadership. And he's also seen those, again, those words of encouragement as he has spoken with Joshua. So Moses' investment in Joshua, what we're going to see is God's going to use that investment to help develop Joshua into the leader that God needs him to be. So what's happened is Moses has been doing things and Joshua's been there to watch the whole time for all this time period. So Joshua has watched Moses deal with situations that many would seem and see hopeless as seem as that would seem to be hopeless, right? Joshua was there had a front row seat for many times. He saw the deliverance of the Israelites. Joshua saw that. He saw the fact that God protected them from their enemies. He saw how God delivered them and gave and met their, their needs and their necessities. He saw Joshua, he saw Moses reverentially go to God. He saw Moses go to God and seek the Lord. He was there whenever Joshua went up on the mountain. Moses went up and Joshua went with him up on the mountain. The Ten Commandments were given on Mount Sinai and Joshua was there. He was there when Moses is at his tent and the pillar of smoke comes down and God meets with Joshua or meets with Moses. I'm just getting to get those confused the rest of the day. Y'all just go ahead and get used to that. <laughs> Fill in whatever works for you. But what happens there, he was there and he saw Moses. And the Bible says he spoke to him as a friend, right? As a friend, as a friend speaking to a friend. So Joshua was there watching him depend upon God and seek guidance for the Lord. Then we also saw him. He watched Moses as Moses stood his ground against those that would rebel against God. Right? When he came down from the mountain and he found the people worshiping that golden calf, he saw how Moses stood his ground. He saw how when the people complained about not having any food, how Moses stood his ground and stood for the Lord. He saw how when they got to the border of the promised land, when God said, here it's yours to be delivered, he saw the insurrection that took place and he watched how Moses handled the whole thing. So Joshua no longer, had no longer, and no doubt has seen these acts, these works that he's witnessed firsthand and he's gone, man, look at this, look at this man of God, look at this godly leader, look at him. But then at the same time, not only that, but God's, Moses has also heard, or Joshua's also heard from Moses, words of encouragement. He's heard him speak into his life. And what's cool about that is it was orchestrated by the Lord. God had a plan and a purpose for Joshua's life and a plan and a purpose for Moses' life as well. Deuteronomy 1 verse 38 says this, this is God speaking to Moses, but Joshua, the son of Nun, which standeth before thee, he shall go in thither, encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. So Moses faithfully did exactly what God asked him to do. He's continually preparing Joshua by speaking into his life and literally pouring his life into Joshua's life. That is what discipleship is. Discipleship is pouring our lives into the life of someone else. Deuteronomy 31, verses 7 and 8, it says this, And Moses called unto Joshua and said, Unto him in the sight of all of Israel, gathered all the people around, Be strong and of a good courage, for thou must go with this people unto the land which the Lord hath sworn unto their fathers to give them, and thou shalt cause them to inherit it. Verse 8, And the Lord he it is that doth go before thee. He will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be 
dismayed. And then as this life is coming to an end, as Moses is coming to the realization that his time is over, what happens? He does exactly what God tells him to do in Deuteronomy 3.28. He said this, But charge Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him, for he shall go over before his people, and he shall cause them to inherit the land which thou shalt see. And the last recorded words that Moses will speak to Joshua, Deuteronomy 31.23, And he gave Joshua the son of Nun a charge and said, be strong and have a good courage, for thou shalt bring the children of Israel into the land which I swear unto them, and I will be with thee. So as we continue this deep dive into Joshua, what we'll see is Joshua is all about accomplishing and doing God's will. That's what his mission is. He's trying to fulfill God's will. And that's fitting because guess what? Joshua, who is the Hebrew rendering of the name Jesus, right? Jesus says this about accomplishing God's will. Listen to this in Matthew 26. Verses 39 and 42, speaking of God's will, Jesus says this when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's to be killed. He says, and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup may, may not pass away from me, except I drink it, but thy will be done. And see, that should be the attitude that you and I have every single day. That should be what we think every day in our life. I wake up, you know what? God, today, not my will. Lord, let your will be done. God wants to see us allow him to work through our lives, and that's the purpose of why we're here. And this is the heart of Joshua, okay? That's what we're going to find. And when you learn who Joshua is, and we're going to get a good, intimate understanding of who Joshua is as we watch his life through this study, but we see that he has a desire to fulfill God's will. So as we continue the adventure... We're going to listen in today on that continued conversation, okay? We finished up on verse 5 last week. This week, we're going to pick up in verse 6 in our message called Strength and Courage. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for today, God, for helping us, uh, Lord, to hear from you. God, if it were not for the Spirit, uh, Lord, we would be lost in the Word of God. But thank you that the Spirit, Lord, gives us discernment. It gives us understanding. And, Lord, it reveals truth to us. And, Lord, I pray that the Spirit will work heartily in our hearts today. Lord, help us to have ears to hear the truth. I pray, God, if there's any, anyone here today that does not know for sure they're on their way to heaven, they're lost, they're in the place I was 19 years ago, God, I pray that you reveal to them their lost condition. And, Lord, let them know the love of God. Lord, we pray for all those that are online that are watching with us. God, we just pray that you'll speak to our hearts. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so as I said, we're going to be in verses 6 through 9, Joshua 1, verse 6 through 9. You ever notice when you wear a mask, it makes your nose itch? Man, oh man, goodness gracious, if I scratch my nose, I'm sorry. Be strong, verse 6, be strong and of a good courage, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Verse 7, only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. Verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, and thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Verse 9, Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be dismayed, for the Lord God, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. And these four verses, what we'll see here is there's a transition that's taking place. What we've watched up to this point is God has been encouraging Joshua. He's been encouraging him. But what we notice here in verse 6, there's a shift. What happens now is he goes from encouraging him, now he starts to challenge him. 
Now he starts giving him some directions, some opportunity for him to serve, for an opportunity for him to take action. And one thing we find is the fact that motivation is wonderful, no doubt about it. And it's great that he motivates him. But if there were no transition, there'd be a problem. Because many of us, how many of us know that motivation without action is useless? Right? Man, I'm, gonna I'm going to the diet. Today's my day. But, and you may be committed in your heart, but guess what? When you're sitting eating pie the same day, it's like you're not, you're not taking action, right? We must, we must match the two together. And what we'll find is God's going to give him, in these four verses, he's going to give him four different actions that he needs to do in order to fulfill what God's called him to accomplish. And the first one we're going to see is in verse number six. Be strong and of a good courage, for unto this, unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. So this first shift here, God here is telling him, you know what I want you to do, Joshua? I want you to keep my promise. I want you to keep my promise. Listen, he says, for unto this people shalt thou divide for an adherence the land which I swear unto their fathers. I made a promise a long time ago, Joshua, and guess what? I want you to fulfill it. Hold on to my promise. We might say it this way. He's saying, look, I want you, God's commanding him to do his will. And what we'll know is that this is not going to be easy. Because how does he start? Be strong and have a good courage. This is not going to be easy. I need you to understand. Listen to the words that I'm telling you. Be strong and have a good courage. He keeps hearing this reaffirmed phrase. Joshua keeps hearing this again and again and again. Now what he's telling me is, look, you know what bottom line is this? Keeping my promise, keeping my word, it is not going to be easy. But not only is it not going to be, not only going to be not, not easy, but guess what? It's also potentially going to be scary. He says, be strong and then be of a good courage, right? Don't be afraid. And we think about this. Is it possible that Joshua keeps hearing this phrase time and time again because he's struggling with fear? Yeah. yeah. Is it possible when Moses was looking into his eyes, he saw him, I don't know if I can do this. Right? Is it possible as God's speaking to him and Joshua's taking on the responsibility and understanding the size of what's coming, that he's like, oh, I'm not sure I can do this. Right? And what we find is the fact that bottom line is God's simply saying, look, you know what? I need you to honestly understand that, 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 that you can do this, Joshua, that this is not going to be within your powers. And I can tell you, if I was in Joshua's shoes and if I was going to take on this responsibility of millions of people looking to me to lead properly, to set an example, to guide and lead the armies, to go into this promised land where my, my forefather, my Moses, my, 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 my leader couldn't do it, and now I'm going to do it? I'm telling you, I can, I'm, it would be really hard for me to keep the fear that I felt in my heart not showing up in my, my face. You know, I'd be out trying to play it off. I'm like, I'm good, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm good. Yeah. Uh, I'm good, right? Because sometimes, you ever see somebody tries to play off fear? Yeah, you good? Yeah, yeah man, I'm good. I'm, yeah, I got this. <clears throat> I'm, I'm not scared. <clears throat> no, I man, I, I got it. <clears throat> yeah. And then you look in their eyes, and their eyes are dilated like this, right? You know, if you may, I mean, think about it. If there's something you're scared of, spiders or snakes or heights or whatever. I don't like heights, dude. You know, if this was the edge of a building, I'm telling you, I would be shaking like a leaf. I don't like heights at all. But whatever happens, but we try to hide these things. We try to keep them inside. And that's what I believe. When you looked at Joshua, if we were there in these moments, I believe that's what we'd see in Joshua. We might see his hand shaking. We might see his knees quivering inside of his clothing. We don't really know. But bottom line is this, and I can tell you that for your perspective, when I, every time I'm about to preach, I am scared. I am nervous. I am filled with fear and I'm filled with doubt. Not in God, okay? I'm filled with fear and doubt of me. Because I know who I am and I know where I come from. And I know 
there's people way more qualified to do what I get to do than me. But see, the great thing is that it's not, it's not us that accomplishes great things for God, right? It's not, like I said, it's not fear and doubt in God. It's fear and doubt in myself. But at the same time, I have an unshakable faith in God. Amen. So there's a great confidence that comes with knowing that God's the one that's going to do it. It's not you that's going to do it. And many times we try to carry the weight of things on our own hearts, believing that we're doing things. And God's simply trying to say, look, hey, you know what? Don't be afraid, man. Don't be fearful. Look, all of the things I'm asking you to do, fulfill this promise. It was my promise. I'm just simply asking you to be faithful. And as we mentioned last week, see, God expects us to be faithful. The fruitful part is up to God. All he asks of us is to be faithful. So if anything good comes out of the message today, it was God. If anything bad comes out of it, that was 100% me. I take full responsibility. So what we find here is as he's wrapping up the instructions, remember last week, as God wrapped up the instructions in verse 5, listen to how he wrapped it up. If he was not struggling with fear, why would he say this to him in verse 5? There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. Listen, you can do this, Joshua. Why can you do it? As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. Don't have confidence in you, Joshua. Have confidence in me. And it's leaning on that confidence. That's what's going to allow him to fulfill what God has called him to do. What's he called to do? For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Okay, as we mentioned last week, in Joshua 15 is when this is actually going to take place. But what happens is there's already been some information. Moses has already kind of established what's going to go on. Because what we're going to find out is in Joshua 14, verses 2 through 3, we'll find that the distribution, as it, as it gets broken down, it's not going to be to all 12. There's only going to be nine and a half tribes that are going to receive when he does the distribution. And there's a reason why. Okay? Joshua 14, verses 2 and 3 says, By lot was their inheritance, as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses, for the nine tribes and for the half tribe. For Moses had given the inheritance of two tribes and a half tribe on the other side, Jordan, but unto the Levites he gave none inheritance among them. So what we're going to find in the next few weeks is we're going to see that actually what happened was there were a couple of the tribes that said, you know what, hey, we're, we're herdsmen and we've got, this land looks pretty good to us. When as opposed to crossing the Jordan, they're actually going to take their land on the eastern side. They're not even going to be in Canaan, and that's what he's referencing. But we're not going to go through details because I would mess up my message that I've got coming for you guys. So no more on that. So we're going to see, understand the whole point of this, this aspect is God's preparing him to do what he's asked him to do. He's saying, look, you know what? I need you to keep my promise. And then he goes to the second thing that he wants him to do. And that's in verse number seven. Only be thou strong and very courageous that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. So Joshua, now what I want you to do is I want you to keep my law. Keep my law. First, you're to keep my promise, and now you're to keep my law. What this means is, you know what you're going to do? You're going to honor God. You're going to live a life that honors and glorifies the Lord. This is about our walk. He's saying you're going to apply this law to your life and allow it to guide you, right? This has been the hardest thing for humanity from the very beginning, and it is still the hardest thing for us to do, to walk for God and glorify Him. Why do you think that he says it this way in that verse? He didn't say be of a good courage, which he says every other time. But when it comes to living the life and walking the law, he says be very courageous. Be very courageous. You know why? Because this one's going to be tough. You think the other ones are tough? This one is unusually hard, Joshua, because what you're going to do is you're trying to wrangle the flesh in this moment. You need not only to be strong, but you need to be very courageous. 
courageous. Now, we think about the word courageous. To be courageous, what that means is that we, uh, the definition says, not deterred by danger or pain. Not deterred by danger or pain. And a lot of times we think about someone who's courageous. We think of a police officer. We think of a fireman. We think of a, of a soldier. Someone that will risk their lives for someone else. They literally, people they don't even know, they'll risk their lives. They'll risk their lives for king or country, right? And what happens, these soldiers will give themselves. And what we find is if, if in these noble acts of selflessness and self-sacrifice, humanity gets as close to God's character as they can in those moments. The Bible says no greater love than this than a man laid in his life. First friend, first friend, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what happens here is he's saying, look, you know what? It's interesting. We understand the fact that God's telling this to Joshua because guess what? Joshua's got to take responsibility for the group. You've got a couple million folks here. And you're going to try to wrangle their behavior, their flesh, right? And what's interesting, now God's not going to hold them accountable for their sin. Notice that that's an individual accountability. Romans 14, 12 says this. So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Jeremiah 17, 10 says it this way. I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. So Joshua's not going to be held accountable for their individual sin. But what will happen is Joshua will be accountable for the way he leads them. He's to lead them unto righteousness, okay? He's to lead them unto righteousness. And listen, all of us that have an opportunity to lead in someone else's life, okay? This is written to us in Ezekiel 33, verses 7 and 8. So thou, O son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. He's saying, look, if I'm warning of sin and I'm telling people, be careful of what you're to get involved in and they're doing it. When I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die. If I tell them, look, there's a consequence for your sin and I've got you a watchman over their soul. If thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. He'll be accountable for his sin, yes, but there's something else. But his blood will I require at thine hand. You had an opportunity to warn him, and you chose not to, and you knew you should have, and you chose not to do it. The Bible says that for men to knoweth what to do, to to doeth right, doeth it not, is not it, is, it is sin unto him, right? <laughs> Thank you guys. Teamwork, we're doing this. Yes. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 17 says this. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. So Joshua will answer for the way that he leads. And guess what? You and I will we'll answer for how we lead. Now, that may be as a pastor leading a church. It could be as a discipler working with a disciple. It could be with a teacher working with students. It could be a parent working with their child, right? These are all the same instances. Now, as we do this, as we lead them, will they make mistakes? Absolutely. That is a part of the growth process. Falling flat on our faces, that's just what happens to us. We all fail at some point and, or some point or another. But what we have to realize is our job, our job is to be a consistent influence in their life pointing toward the righteousness of God. We're to be that consistent pointing force. Righteousness, righteousness, righteousness. If God has entrusted someone to us, now those are people we have influence. We have influence. All of us have influence over someone. We may not realize that, but we do. But understand this. Our job is not only to instruct them in righteousness, but our job is to live an example of righteousness. How can I tell you to do something that I am not doing myself? That's called hypocrisy. 
baby, don't you smoke. It's bad for you, baby. Don't you smoke, girl. Don't ever do this. I'm telling you, because once you start, you're just never going to stop, baby. But don't you smoke. Does that sound crazy? But does not, have we all witnessed that? Yes. We may have grown up in it, right? Hypocrisy, man. There is nothing more destructive to the Christian walk than hypocrisy that I know of on this world. And I'm telling you from personal experience, if you're living a life that is false, you're claiming one thing and you're living another, I beg you, get right with God. Amen. If you're living right now as a hypocrite and you know it in your heart and God's convicting you right now, let God deal with your heart, but, but get right. Amen. Let it draw you to repentance. Let it draw you to make things right because you don't realize the impact that our life has. We think we can hide our hypocrisy and it doesn't affect anybody, but guess what? You're, tri- you're fooling yourself. The Bible says don't deceive yourself. You know why? It says, for whatsoever man soweth that shall he also reap. If I'm reaping hypocrisy in my life, if I'm sowing hypocrisy, guess what? I'm going to reap from the result of that. And the worst thing in the world, imagine this as a Christian, that we stand before the Lord one day at the judgment seat, and God takes our life. And I don't know how it works, but I'm going to imagine there's this big screen behind you. And he says, let's, let's see. Let's see your works. You're not judged for your sin, but I'm going to judge you for your works. And you know when, remember this whole section of your life when you were living a lie? And you not realize how many people you impacted the ripple effect of your sin and your selfish seeking desire, seeking to want to fulfill yourself, do you not realize the damage and destruction that you wreaked in this world? And the worst thing is, the people that we most times hurt are the ones that are closest to us, the people that are most dear to us. And we have got to be careful of how we lead others. He's to keep God's law. But guess what? That's not easy. It's not easy. That's what we're supposed to do. It's not easy to walk right. It's not easy to live for the Lord. It's not easy to deny our flesh. It's not easy to crucify our flesh and live for God. But let me tell you, man, it is absolutely worth it. God is seeking faithfulness. And that's what this is about. And what's going to happen to Joshua? He's going to seek to do things right, man. He's going, okay, guys, let's keep the law. And they're going to march to Jericho. And shortly thereafter, guess what? It's all going to fall apart. Because you know what? He's going to realize this is, it's hard. This is difficult. That's why he says you must be strong and be very, very courageous. And we must be very courageous as well. We've got to be willing to stand against this world to do what's right. So God commands him to first keep his promise. Secondly, to keep his law. And then third, he tells him this. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. Thou shalt meditate therein day and night, and thou mayst observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. He's to keep his word. He's to keep his word. So he's first of all, he's to keep his promise. Second of all, he's to keep his law. And now he's to keep his word. This means to honor and defend and abide by the holy word of God. How do we do this? What's beautiful is God, I love how God communicates with humanity because he just tells you. He's just straight up. Because notice in that verse that he just, we just read, he tells us three different things that we have to do in order to, 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 to achieve this. He says, first of all, the book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. What he's saying here, letter A, we are to make God's word a part of who we are. It becomes a part of who we are. It is synonymous with us. I want you to listen to David's heart as David writes here in Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Why have I hidden it in my heart? What was the purpose of me learning that word, reading that word, meditating on that word? That I might not sin against thee. 
I'm struggling with sin, what do you think I should probably do? Maybe apply the Word of God, right? Because what to do, the Word of God, if I'm, if I'm in the Word and the Word's ministering to my heart and sin comes along, I see it for what it is. But if I'm ministered to by the world and my view and my perspective is, shit, is designed by the world, sin can work its way into life, in my life and me not even recognize it as sin. This filter of the Word of God. In Psalm 119, verses 43 and 44. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in thy judgments. So shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever. Amen. It's a part of me. It's a part of who I am. It is a part of my very being. And this is the whole thing. The direct, direct design or what God's simply saying is like uh, this, this word should define who I am and the way that I think. My responses should be directly linked to what God says. As Solomon wrote, David's son, he said this in Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. These are my wife's life verses. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Amen. Boy, I'm telling you, apply that to your life. You will change the world. And you know how we change the world? One life at a time. It's how we lead. Then next, what did he tell him? But thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Letter B. We are to pray over God's word as it speaks to our heart. Meditate over the word, man. Let it speak to us. Verse one, what, uh, Psalm 119, verses 15 and 16. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Amen. I will let it speak to me and I will make it a part of who I am. Allowing the Spirit to guide us. Allowing the Spirit to direct us through God's Word. Listen to David as he addresses this truth in Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3. Blessed is a man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. So he says, blessed is the man that does not allow the world to determine his truth. Right? The world doesn't tell him what real is. He says here in verse 2, but his delight. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night, man. He says, hey, this is a part of my everyday life. The word of God is just a, it's part and parcel with me. And he shall be like, listen to this. When you see the words like and as, what is God doing? He's saying, look, I'm going to give you an example. Let you picture this. He's going to give us a visual so we can picture this. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. He's saying, look, you know what? This is a person who's drinking from the water of life. They're drinking of God's truth. They're consuming it. And what it's doing is it makes them fruitful. It makes their life successful. And you know what it says? In his season. What he's saying, you know what? In this person's lifetime, in their season on this earth, they'll have a successful life with God. And you notice it says, and then it says that their leaves shall not wither. He says, not only is it for this season, but guess what? It's for eternity. They'll never die. They're walking with the Lord. So this fruitful aspect of who God is, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. So the third thing, letter C, we are to apply God's word to our daily walk, right? So first of all, we're to consume it, then we're to pray over it. Now we're supposed to apply it. It becomes a part of who we are. Now, we should apply and understand the word of God, first of all, and this is key, because when we read the word, you want to understand it for sure, and that's key, but also it's not just understanding, it's not just understanding because it's application as well. There's a danger in just understanding. Psalm 119 verses 3 through 6 says this, They also do no iniquity. 
They walk in His ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep Thy precepts diligently. Look, we're supposed to live by the Word of God. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep Thy statutes, God. Oh, that my life would be directed by the Word of God, that that would be the guide for me. Verse 6, Then shall I not be ashamed when? When I have respect unto all Thy commandments. When I allow the Word of God to be the director for my life, guess what? I will not find myself ashamed. How many of us at some point in our lives, knew what to do and how to do it biblically, but we directly chose not to. Right? We fell prey to our flesh. We stood in direct defiance of God's word and God's will because we allow our flesh to be in charge. It's about God having lordship over our lives, allowing him to work through us. Because when that happens to us, what do we find ourselves? Ashamed. Ashamed. Psalm 119, verses 33 through 35. Teach me, O Lord, the way of thy statutes, and I shall keep it unto the end. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. He says, look, if you could just help me to have a better understanding of it, I'll dig, I'll word, I'll, I'll meditate over it. And then as you do this, I'm going to search it with my whole heart. God, you'll, you'll restore me, you'll strengthen me. He says, I shall observe it with my whole heart. It'll have all of me. And see, that's who we should be. That should be us. As Christians, man, we've been given better access to the Word of God than ever before. Yet few people know what it says. They could tell you a couple stories. David and Goliath. Oh, there's a boat in there and there's some with some animals. Right? Yet God said, hey, man, if you'll pour into this thing, it will become a delight in your heart. Verse 35, make me to go in the path of thy commandments. Listen to this. For therein do I delight. For therein do I delight. And that's the key. That last word is the key. Do we delight in God's word? Right? Is it something that we burn and hunger for? We're talking about on Wednesday nights to hunger and thirst after righteousness, right? How do you hunger and thirst? Man, you've got to fall in love with God's word. You let the word speak to your heart. You let it be something that excites you. It's not just there as a teacher or there as a, as a reprover, but it's there to be something that loves you, that restores you, that strengthens you, that builds you up. Amen. Because what happens, some people have this idea that they read the Bible and it's drudgery. It's work. It's work. Oh, you know what? Uh, let me just tell you, your love for the Word of God will directly relate to your success in this world. Because you cannot love God's Word and love God, and not, you cannot... There's no way to not love God's Word and tell me you love God. That is an impossibility because the Word is God, man. It's in there. It's Him. And there's lots of people, oh, I love the Lord, man. Oh, yeah, I love the Lord. That's a great phrase. Sounds good. Love the Lord. But you go to their house, their Bible's covered in dust. You're like, clean me. Right? <laughs> they don't apply the Word of God. They have no desire for it. And you're telling them that you love this God, you love God and yet you don't want to hear from Him? That's like my wife being on a trip and she writes me a letter. Man, I love my wife. I love my wife. I love my wife. I love my wife. Have I told you that I love my wife? And she sent me a letter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just threw it in the mail. Whatever. Yeah. Don't I want to hear from her? Yes. Do I want to hear what she's going through? Do I want to hear her heart? Yes. This idea that you can love God and not love His Word is a ridiculous notion. Yet the world is filled with people that love the Lord, man. Love the Lord. But never, ever go to His Word. Those do not line up. Right. And look, we think about David. 
And David, man, a man after God's own heart, that's what the Bible says. And David, did he love God? Yes. But if you go and find all the places in the Bible where he loves God, there's just a couple little times when he mentions loving God. But when he gets to his word, boy, David is head over heels. <laughs> He's committed. Go read Psalm 119. I just read it to Papa last night. And it's a love letter, man. It's, it's David again and again and again and again professing his love for God's Word. He says he delights in it. He loves it. He longs for it. It's the Word. This ministering tool that God's left us to speak to our hearts, to draw us to truth, to reveal our sin, and to show us how to live a life that will be glorifying to Him and enriching to us. We search the world trying to find a way to be happy, and we find ourselves frustrated. Yet the Word of God tells us what to do and we avoid it. It doesn't make sense. The love you have for the Word will directly relate to the love you have for God. Jesus said it this way in John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Let my Word be important to you. Love my Word. Desire it. Listen to it. Be faithful to the Word. Because what it does is it translates directly to the success that we live in this life. The glory that we bring to God will come through it. The more love I have for the Word, guess what? The greater success. The less love I have, the less success. It's directly correlated. But understand, you've got to keep track. That does not mean love of the Word does not mean knowledge of the Word. Okay, there are people in this world that will tell you they love God. And there are people that know the Word of God. But they don't have the love of God. It does not translate that way. Because what happens many times, knowledge of God... Knowledge of God does not make people godly. It traditionally makes them prideful. Okay? 1 Corinthians 8.1 says this, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we, have a, that we all have knowledge. Okay, so here's the issue. This is knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up and makes you proud. But charity edifieth. Charity. Charity is the love of God being displayed through a person. And I'm going to share with you guys, when I got saved, this is 2001, Shortly after getting saved, my grandmother was saved. I was never raised in church because my mom kind of separated us out of that. Um, and there was a lot of hypocrisy there, but my, my grandmother was saved. And she's what you'd call, now they, people, they have people that are called velvet hammers. They share the gospel, you know, you're going to, you know, you don't, you're, going, you're going to hell, brother. My grandmother was a, you're going to hell, boom. That's the way she communicated. I mean, she didn't, she didn't share the gospel in love. It was just like, wham, wham, wham. That was the way she talked. So when after I'd gotten saved, man, I went to go see my grandmother when she was in a nursing home and she was not doing well. And I'm sitting in the room with her and I started, we're sharing about my testimony and God's, she's just praising the Lord and I'm praising the Lord. We're just sitting there just, just having this first unified, we'd never been close. And all of a sudden, man, we had this spirit that brought us together, right? Amen. There was a love there that was special. And we're sitting there talking and I, God starts burdening me for this woman that's in the same room. This little lady, she's just skinny as a rail. She's just emaciated. And she's laying on the bed just looking at the roof. And God was like, go talk to her. And I was like, whew, okay, I got this. So I got up. I mustered up my courage. I said, Grandma, pray for me. I'm going to go talk to her. She's like, okay. So I go over and I sit down with her. And I start chatting with her and stuff like that. And she's like, oh, my goodness, yes. Oh, I love God. I love God, yes. I, in fact, I've read the Bible through and through. I have studied the Word of God. I've, I've, I've read so many commentaries on the Word. And even my daughter, guess what? She's a pastor. She's a Methodist pastor. It's amazing. She loves God too. And I was like, well, that's wonderful. And I said, there's just one other thing I want to ask you. I said, if you were to die today, are you 100% sure you'd go to heaven? She's like, 
how dare you ask me something like that? And I was like, I was like, I don't mean anything by it. She said, how dare you? Who do you think you are? Did I not tell you I know the word of God? Did I not tell you what my daughter does? Do you not realize? How dare you? And I was like, I'm sorry. I wasn't trying to be offensive. But I love to tell my story. I love to talk of God. Amen. Can I at least pray for you? Do you think I need your prayers? This woman, frail, dying of cancer, lifted herself up on her elbows and gave it to me face to face, man. Let me have it. She had knowledge of God. But there was no love in that heart. And I'm just warning you, if you get caught up in knowledge of God, it can be your undoing. Because you think you're better than other people. You don't think you're a sinner. You don't realize you're broken just like everybody else. And you need the same humbling as anybody else. And that's the thing, man. We've got to remember who we are. It's dangerous to have this biblical knowledge. We've got to be careful. Do we allow ourselves to be humbled before the Lord? Because what He's looking for is for broken children of God who have fallen in love with His Word that allow the Spirit of God to be their God and not their intellect. There's a danger because we love to be important. We love to show off our knowledge. And God says, I need your heart. I don't need your mind. If we allow God to grip our hearts and draw us to him, what will happen is the end of this verse. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So he says, keep his word. How do you do it? Make God's word a part of who you are. Pray over God's word as it speaks to your heart and apply God's word to your daily life. And when we do this, we'll experience that fruitful, fulfilling Christian life. And the success of this world will look like failure as we compare it to what God can do in us. Just to read that verse one more time. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, that thou mayest meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So Joshua is to keep God's promise. He's to keep God's law. He's to keep God's word. And then fourth, verse 9. Have not I commanded thee? Notice he starts with a question. Have not I commanded thee? Be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, whithersoever thou goest. So he's to keep his promise, keep the law, keep his word, and now he's to keep his faith. Joshua, keep your faith. Based upon the fact that what? Why is God telling him this? I would imagine that in this moment, the same fears that have been plaguing Joshua this whole time are showing up. Right? He's looking at Joshua and he's saying, Hey, 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 have I not commanded thee? Look, isn't this me, Joshua? This isn't you. You're taking the weight on yourself and you need not do that. I want you to realize the fact that the success of what's to come is because of me. It's not your responsibility. Because many of us can put ourselves in Joshua's shoes. Well, we put ourselves and we go, you know what? This is me. If it's going to be, it's up to me. Who's ever been there before? Yeah. What happens in those moments when you say, if it's, it's going to be, it's up to me? Your flesh starts to strengthen I got to get fortified. I got to get strong. I got to get organized. I got to get this thing under control. And what does your strength of your flesh do? It separates us from God. He's saying, ah, Joshua, don't fall prey to that. Have not I commanded thee? Question mark. Think, Joshua. 
Reevaluate in this moment. Realize the fact that, guess what? Don't be separated from me. The Lord said it this way in 1 Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, but under the mighty hand of God. Be humble, first of all, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. So we're to cast our cares. We do that because he cares. In order to cast our cares, it first tells us that we must be humbly submitted to God. This is understanding the fact that we need him. We need him. That we don't carry the weight on our own. Joshua was being reminded of the fact that this, in this scenario, whose responsibility is for the success? He's saying, it's not you, Joshua. Wake up. Remember last week we talked about the expectations. God says, he's afraid, there's faithful and there's fruitful. God's expectation of us, he says, I just need you to faithfully do what I ask of you. And do it to the best of your ability. Okay? What happens is many times, well, I'll do it, but I'm not going to overdo it. I'm going to do too much. Look at our job, in our schoolwork. In our family, we all have responsibilities. And you know what we're supposed to do? We're supposed to give it our best. We're supposed to do it because we're not doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for God's glory. If I'm a Christian, guess what? God's name is directly linked to me. Christian. Christ. So I'm supposed to do what I do to the very best of my ability. Colossians 3, 23 and 24. I'm almost done. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Everything we endeavor to do, we need to do it with the sole purpose of bringing glory to God. We don't do it in our strength. We do it as a conduit of God's character, God's love, and God's wisdom. You and I are not the answer. Matthew 5.16, this is my life verse. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You're supposed to glorify God. That's the purpose of why we're here. And that's why this opening phrase is refocusing Joshua, saying, who do you think it is that's going to cause this thing to be successful? It's not you. He tells him, be strong right after that. Be strong and have a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee, with us wherever thou goest. He says, look, even though he's heard this before, this same sentiment, this is the sixth time Joshua's been told the exact same thing. Now, God always repeats himself. Why? Because he's trying to make an emphasis of it. It's like a volume control. He's cranking up the volume. Be strong and have a good courage. And what's great is we're going to find out that Joshua doesn't listen. But the question is, are we listening? Because God, when he teaches someone here, guess what he's also teaching? Us. He's writing into our hearts saying, listen, I need you to hear this message. You be strong and have a good courage. Trust in the Lord. So, and, and the question I ask you is this, are we still allowing fear to make us immobile in our lives? Are there things that we should be doing that we're not doing because we're afraid of failure? Think in our hearts, what's God compelling me to do that I'm not doing? It's not about being fruitful, it's about being faithful. The results are up to God, that's the good news. If, we, if I get up and preach and I do it in my flesh, guess what? It's going to be a huge disaster. But if I can get out of the way, man, God will use it to speak to our hearts. Not only your heart, but my heart. This whole thing is not about us. It's about God speaking to us. It's all about our perspective. If we do what we do, the very best ability that we can, we bring all, everything, we lay it on the field. I can do my very best and fail of, is my eyes. Because I mean, let's say I thought I was going to get this job. And let's say I don't get it. Instead of thinking, well, I'm not, I'm not good enough and I failed. If I gave it my best and I left everything on the field and God said, look, that's not for you, thank God. He knows what's best for us. We don't. 
Jeremiah 29, 11 says this, as God's speaking to, John, uh, to Jeremiah, listen to this for us, because there's a truth about God in this. He says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you. Speaking specifically to Joshua, but listen to this. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. I know what your life needs to be. So Joshua instead, or Jeremiah, instead of you taking the load on your shoulders and trying to make your life what you think it should be, why don't you let me guide your steps? Why don't you do the best that you can? You bring everything to the best of your ability. Bring glory to my name and let me work out the details. That's how Joshua's going to reach an expected end. And recap. First of all, he's to keep God's promise. Then he's to keep God's law. Then he's to keep God's word. And lastly, it is keep his own faith. And the question is, how are we doing in that area of our faith? Are we reverentially calling out to God? Claiming His promises? Right? Are we, are we living a righteous life that brings honor and glory to God? These are important things. Remember, there's four different things that He's asking you to do. Be reverential. Trust me. Keep my promise. Keep my law. What's your life look like? Is it righteous? Is it godly? Are you pouring His Word into your heart that it would grow you and strengthen you? Are you allowing God's Word to be a part of your life? And then lastly, are you walking by faith, fully relying on God? Hey, Dave, hey, Joshua, keep my promise, keep my law, keep my word, and keep your faith. In order for Joshua to succeed, he'll have to do all four. And that's true for us, right? They go, what's the, what's the diagnosis? How do I become successful for God? How do I become a Joshua? He goes, well, let me just give you some instructions. Here you go. One, two, three, four. How you doing? Well, I'm doing okay on number one. Nah, two, three, and four are not so good. Hey, work on them. None of us are perfect. This is a work for all of us. We're all a work in progress. But we know what to do. The question is, will we do it? We're not going to get to our promise then because of things that we do. We're going to get to our promise then because of who we put our faith in. Right? If our faith is in ourselves, the inevitable result will be weakness and fear. But if we put our faith wholeheartedly in God, and our faith is with Him, well, guess what? Then we can look like Joshua, filled with strength and courage. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for today, and God, for giving us the opportunity to be in Your house. Thank You for the Word that You've given us, Lord, for the truth that we've seen and the examples, God, that we get to look at in Joshua's life. And Lord, I do pray that You help us all to recognize who it is we are in Christ and, Lord, who it is that we need to become. Thank you for your instruction. Thank you, Lord, for your guidance, for your encouragement, and Lord, for the truth that the result is up to you. We need not bear the weight of this life, Lord. We simply walk by faith. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, you know what, Pastor? I don't know where I am with God. I'm not sure what my relationship's like. I'm saved. Praise the Lord. I know there's been a time in my life when I received Christ. Praise the Lord. But you know what? I'm not sure about my walk. I'm stumbling. I find myself not living a life that I want, that I'm pleased with. I know God's not pleased. Help me, Lord, today. If that's where you're at, let God deal with you. If he's dealt with you up to this point, bring these things to God. If you're that one that's living as a hypocrite, get these things right with the Lord. Why wait? We're not promised tomorrow. And if you're out there today and you say, you know what, I don't know if I'm even saved. 19 years ago, I did not know Christ. I'd never been in church my whole life. And someone had cared enough about me to share with me the truth of who Christ was. 
not some person on a cross, not some symbol, not some, uh, some service or some magic prayer or, or some, uh, some ceremony. It wasn't that. It was about a real loving Christ who loved me. And he changed my life 19 years ago. And he can do the same thing for you today. If you're out there and you say, you know what, I don't know him, but I want to. The Holy Spirit of God draws people to salvation. And if he's drawing you now, all you have to do is respond. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, what I'm going to do is I'm going to help you to pray. It won't be the words of the prayer. It won't be a ceremony or anything about it. It's going to simply be about your heart connecting with his heart. He's already reaching out. You can feel it. All you need to do is respond. So their heads bowed and their eyes closed. Understand that you're a sinner. You know you need Christ. I'm going to help you to receive him. Again, it's not the words of the prayer, but it will be the heart behind the prayer that God's listening to. So repeat after me with your heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, repeat this prayer, speaking to him, not me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I am so sorry for my sin. I'm asking you right now in the best way I know how, to forgive me. I'm so sorry. And I'm asking you right now to come into my heart, to, Lord, save my soul and give me a home in heaven. Lord, I put my faith in you. I give you my life. I give you my future. I pray that you help me to live a life of righteousness from this day forward. God, thank you for saving me. I'll see you in heaven one day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.